Hello and welcome to the Kitchen Table Podcast. I'm Allison. And I'm Alex. And uh, today's topic is gentrification, something near and dear to our hearts. And neighborhoods. And our, yeah, and our homes. Um, so yeah, we, I think, why, so we wanted to talk about this one because it comes up a lot. We live in D.C. and like an issue like in most cities obviously yeah i think it's something that we 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 live all around and we participate in inadvertently of rather than ignore it or think about it just in our own lives we wanted to get together and talk about it and and maybe come to some come to an agreement yeah come to an agreement (laughs) Um, okay so the idea behind so this is our official first episode and the idea behind the kitchen table podcast is that these are discussions that we have a lot usually or usually at parties and stuff um, so we get together around our respective kitchen tables and talk about them. Mm-hmm. So the definition of gentrification that we're going to use today is when a neighborhood changes economically and more lower income people leave and middle class and higher income people move in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think we in practice or application or reality, at least in, in DC, that often takes the form of white people pushing black people out. And yeah. that's not, uh, that's more of just a sort of the way gentrification has manifested itself here. But I think that that's our experience with it is, is in that way. Yeah. Um, and we certainly acknowledge that there are, you know, white people being displaced by gentrification all over the country and the world. Um, yeah, but, but they're not, yeah. But, yeah. but in America... It's mostly (laughs) people of color being displaced. Um, And and also a note from the PBS article that we are referring to today. It involves demographic changes, real estate markets like my rent, which is too damn high, land use, and culture and character. And I think today we're mostly going to be talking about culture and real estate. Mm -hmm. But demographics, actually we're talking about everything. We're on it. We're on top of it. (laughs) So yeah, so we should start out with a confession. Um, My name is Allison, and I am a gentrifier. I live in a neighborhood that is defined differently depending on who you ask, but our like trendy branding name is Noma, um, and it's technically Truxton Circle, sometimes called Shaw. Yeah, and we, when we were sort of preparing for this, we talked about how I was surprised to hear Allison say that it's Noma because um, Noma is sort of like this. Uh, I did some research and it was invented, and the word was invented in 2004 by a developing company. Yeah. Um, and it seems to grow every year as. As the name recognition grows, the neighborhood grows. So I think in two years ago, this neighborhood would not have been Noma on a Craigslist ad. No, and now um, it totally is. And now it totally Sometimes is. even Shaw, which is a stretch, yes, y'all. That absolutely. is a stretch. There was actually a really funny like poster in one of the big condos by the Metro that was like, in Noma, 80% of people have college degrees or higher and then if you looked at the map they had like strategically cut out the mm-hmm. projects they had gerrymandered the demographics exactly they gerrymandered it so it's basically just the apartment buildings yeah um, so that can tell you some of the things that are happening mm-hmm. around us um, so in my neighborhood there's been a 39% increase in median income from 2000 to 2010 and that's according to the census and my other source is datalensdc.com there's an article called Gentrification by the Numbers, which is pretty interesting and has a cool map for you to check out in case you want to fact check me. And so my neighborhood is uh, the Trinidad neighborhood, which is um, sort of being eaten away by Noma and uh, Ivy City, which mm-hmm. is another neighborhood we'll probably talk about a little later. Both are um, 
I guess Ivy City was was actually the name of the neighborhood, but it, they kind of have both been focus grouped and branded into interesting places where that don't look like they did ten years ago. I think they both were industrial areas uh, that have been turned into uh, areas with coffee shops and, and industrial lofts. Um, yeah, and also something we're going to get into later. They're both er- or they're both areas where there was once a large concentration and still is of like homeless shelters and other resources for marginalized people. Lower income. Lower yeah. income people. Yeah. But like homeless, margin. Marginalized. For marginalized people. Um, okay. So, and uh, just a last note, so that I'm not the only one putting myself out there. Alex, would you consider yourself a gentrifier? Absolutely. Definitely a gentrifier. I grew up in, uh, it's, it wasn't even a suburb, but a small city in North Carolina. I went to private school. Yeah. Um, I came here to tr- live in the city and then drive a car to Virginia to have a job. So I'm sort of like probably the, I check all of the boxes. Yeah. Um, my neighborhood based on these, the studies that Alison was using, um, has actually gone down income by about four and a half percent between 99 and 2012. And the change in proportion of African-Americans from 2000 to 2010 has gone down five and a half percent. Um, I think once we get into 2015 uh, and we see sort of the next stream of numbers, that number will go down even more. Uh, Allison, do you know what your neighborhood is? According to Data Lens, mine is a decrease of about 25%, the change in proportion of African Americans. So like also, so like a pretty significant change. And one of the reasons people are wondering, is D.C. still the chocolate city? You know? Quest- questions are out there. People want to know. Um, okay. So, so that's like more of the background. So gentrification comes up in the news a lot in mm-hmm. D.C., um, but it also has a lot of, there's a lot of like historical changes that have happened in like the racial makeup as, of the city. So like, for instance, Georgetown is where a lot of freed slaves used to live in the 1800s. Um, there's actually an interesting article on this in the Washington Post, if you want to refer to it. It's called Georgetown's Hidden History. I do recommend it. Um but anyway, for a long time, freed slaves lived in Georgetown, and then in the 1850s, they passed some black codes that made it basically illegal to be black in Georgetown, and that's how people kind of moved into the places where they live now, and into Maryland, and now we're seeing the next wave of wave of change. And part of that has been pretty interesting in Alex's neighborhood, or in Alex's area. Um... Well, if you say interesting, you mean there's been a lot of crime. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I think. It, yeah. I mean, it is. It's. I think one of the. Obviously, you know, there, as demographics change, there are tensions there, and um, and this area Noma that we were talking about earlier, which is, I think, it's it's sort of a weird model for gentrification where some developers came in, found a bunch of cheap land that was previously industrial, um, you know, big open swaths of land decided to call it NOMO, which stands for North of Massachusetts Avenue, just mm-hmm. like Soho yeah. in New York. Um, uh, we're such biters. And uh, and built a bunch of beautiful apartment buildings, brought in a, an upscale grocery store. There's mm-hmm. a um, Petco's Urban store. Oh, yeah, it's called Urban Unleashed. Unleashed. Um, and uh, yeah, there's a pop belly and a Starbucks. Um, and I went to somebody's apartment there, beautiful apartment. Oh, they're so um, nice. And there was a dog wash station 
as like that was one of the amenities the apartment building had. And ten years ago, this was a sort of post-industrial, not a wasteland. wasteland. People lived here. People lived there, People but, but lived not, here. it actually wasn't very residential. Yeah, it um, wasn't. So they have um, there's like a big, I mean, RIP to Ibiza, but there are a bunch of like super clubs that were by where the apartments are now, and the last one in Ibiza has recently shut down. Um, but they were allowed to have them because people didn't care. Like, you know, yeah, people, people would get into night. fights outside fight or, like, these. be, fight. you know, people would be outside all night mm -hmm. um, and no one complained, but that was actually one of the reasons that Ibiza couldn't make it is that the new residents, I'm sure myself included, if I had ever heard it, were complaining a lot. Yeah. Um, so now that, that neighborhood is... Um, is obviously very different, but there, are, uh, there's, there's been a fair amount of crime yeah. there, um, as at the sort of intersections of, I don't, it's not, I don't even want to say that it's not an intersection of like an unsafe place and a safe place. It's no, just, but it's people who I would, I mean, how do you phrase we'll like, uh, No, okay. I mean, this is like, this is, is, is sort this, of the crux of it, right? Okay. Like where, I mean, we kind of it's an it interesting, okay. It's interesting because it's people who ordinarily wouldn't interact People who are sometimes tempting to rob, I, I think. think. I think wealth comes in. Wealth came into the community where there wasn't wealth. Yeah. And there, I think that there have been situations where people have tried to take some of the wealth. Yeah. And there have been several. I guess I mean several too many murders. I, I think there were th too many. I mean, well, some of which are summer. yeah. So this summer, so there's a there's a report on this from July. <laughs> on the NBC Washington site, if you want to see what we're referring to. It's called No More Residents Demand End to Crime Wave. Demand. Demand end to, and as we should. But one of, like, the main one, one that got a lot of attention this summer was of a guy named Kevin Sutherland. I think he was an American graduate, graduate, and he was murdered on the metro train right by the Noma station. And that was, I think, kind of came to represent some of the gentrification, even though this was, it wasn't a robbery. Um, it, it was like a kind of a random incident but like just as an example like there's way more people that you wouldn't expect to be in the neighborhood but like i don't even i i don't know how i would like to phrase this because i think in some ways when we talk about these issues it makes it sound like well people who were used to being robbed used to be robbed and now it's people who aren't used to being right. robbed so there's it's getting reported on when when, yeah. when crimes when crimes take place in uh, newly gentrified areas, it's a, an outrage. And yeah. when crimes take place in lower-income areas full of marginalized people, it's yeah. just the cost of doing business. Exactly. And I think that <clears throat> that is kind of the the crux of the problem that a lot of people have. The issue is not that people don't like good coffee or that people don't like bike lanes, which we are going to discuss later in the program. <laughs> I think the issue is that people think those are nice things. Why didn't we have them before? Right. And like it, so even things that I think a lot of people would probably be in favor of if it wasn't for the underlying tensions and the history histories like the history in our area it it, um, it heightens the yeah it, it definitely heightens the tension yeah. like that comparison so it's um, in, in addition to you coming here and pricing me out of my rent or rate you know jacking up my property taxes absolutely you know you also like get these nice things yeah and in a lot of cases they're things that the community can't afford yeah. Uh, I think the Union Market is a really good example. Absolutely. So um, Union Market is on Florida and... Sixth. Sixth? Northeast. Northeast. That's where we, right that's by where Gallia. we are. Yep. So yeah. it's, it's a, it originally was a community market. That makes it sound... Like I mean, it was, wholesaler? Yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was a warehouse full of yeah. different stalls and yeah. there was a, you know, butcher and fruit guy and all that. And it 
burned down, partially mm-hmm. down, and they sold it to this. I'll, I'll we can fact check those and put it on the blog. But they sold it to a a, a big company that runs, I think, about a hundred of these places oh, nationwide. Okay. And they brought in all of these sort of boutique-y, super bougie, um, but nice, artisanal oh, breads. Oh, yeah. and Oh, man. Like the most tiny, expensive bread you'll ever have in your life. Right. This is a... Delicious. An, yeah. Another potential sponsor, Union Market. I know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. But, yeah. So, and then now, you know, the community has, like, lost uh, a place to eat. Yeah. Um, because it's definitely, like, it's, like, small plates. Mm-hmm. And like it's like a it's like a treat. It's not it's no longer a place where you would just do your regular shopping it's, unless you're, you know, pretty unless you have the resources to. Right. If you wanted to, you know, if you wanted to spend twenty dollars a pound on a steak, you would have a really delicious steak. It's a very good place for you. But, you know that like that's that's a real thing that that's happened and it's 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 brought it gets a lot of press attention because it's brought a lot of people from other parts of the city mm-hmm. to, you know, Northeast on a Sunday afternoon. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, it's, it's displaced people in the community. The, um, the one star Facebook reviews of union market are absolutely worth. Your what? I, uh, wait, Alex, give us a, give us a sample. I'm trying please. to find, trying to find one now. Oh, God. Okay. All right. Here's one. I loved the easy way it used to be. You took all the history out of the market and made it to fit those you wanted instead of those that had always served. Mm-hmm. How dare you That's... cater to the import Washingtonians and forget those who kept true to this, ci- this city and give the DMV to the lighter, whiter dollar. Hashtag disgusted community member. And there's a pretty active comment section on that post. Yeah. Yeah. Or just some <laughs> oh, shorter ones. The true definition yeah. of gentrification. Yeah. Uh, Fuck I, this shit. Get out of here. I personally don't care for the new market. <laughs> yeah, that was that's <laughs> probably went a little deep there. Yeah. Um, the point here is that we've we've seen this in our local communities too, or our neighborhoods too, where people aren't only priced out of their apartments or their homes; they're also being priced out of the the services around them. So, um, you know, there were once they had affordable food, suddenly they have artisanal breads that no one can afford, um, and even the corner stores are changing a lot. In certain situations, you know, there are benefits there. People are getting maybe a grocery store where previously they were shopping at only a corner store. Yeah. There are definitely benefits, but it's it's give and take. Well, we, I mean, it's a complicated situation. That's probably why you can't get a good, <laughs> we can't, yeah, you can't get a good uh, sound bite out of it. Okay, so that's what's happening mm-hmm. kind of around D.C. Should we and talk about the ATM robbery? Oh, yeah. Okay, so I want to talk about the ATM robbery. I also want to talk about the bicycles. Um, Another good example of kind of the tensions around gentrification where there was a recent event in October um, with a... There was a young young man named Jason Goolsby in near Eastern Market in Southeast D.C. Um, He was kind of loitering around an ATM trying to decide whether to take out money. Um, A white lady with a baby stroller came up he held the door open for her. She walked away, called the cops. The cops, like, tackled him to the ground. Um, this is all caught on video, and it was, uh, you know, there were a lot of questions, like, what? first of all, why were the police called for something like this? Second of all, why were they so aggressive? Uh, if you want to look up the hashtag, it's a little old, but it was hashtag justice for Jason, and there were protests. And so some people have pointed this out as an example of, you know, the tensions around gentrification and what happens when you move to an area, but you don't necessarily trust 
the people who are already there or feel a connection to the community. Like, here you have a woman, I mean, I don't know her, but, like, to automatically assume that someone's up to no good, possibly because they're black or they're young, it kind of exemplifies what people are complaining about when they talk about the newcomers who are coming. And something that we have talked about in our uh, intense party debates where we try to figure out how to fix the world is like, well, how do you change that? And what are the best ways to kind of combat those feelings? Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think the real issue is there is like, there's something that should give you pause about moving into a neighborhood and then being so uncomfortable with the people that live there that you call the police on them. Absolutely. And, and I think, but that, like, that's a reality of what's happening and people just don't, People come from fundamentally different places Absolutely. with fundamentally different histories and cultures and then are sort of thrust together. And there's tension there because the one group is moving there and, and in a lot of ways displacing the original residents. And it just goes from there. I mean, I, I think the issue is that there's not in all cases, but in in some of these cases like this um, woman feeling uncomfortable at the ATM. It's people moving from one place where they felt comfortable to a new place where they may not feel comfortable and then sort of assuming that the, the residents of that new place are out to get them. Yeah. And but, I mean, I, it is also interesting to me that I'm sure this woman does not consider mm-hmm. herself to be a racist. No, absolutely. And probably, like, saw this and on Facebook and, like, yeah. made an impassioned post about how everyone assumes the worst about her. Right. So, like, how, how can she, a white lady acting on her unconscious, but I yeah. would consider very conscious biases. Like, <laughs> like, is it, is it, what does she do about that? Yeah. What, is, what should she do? Like, how can she help herself? Well, I think, how can she get her glow up? What, oh, should, she, what should she do? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I think that's, that's, that's the issue is be, because there's no, I mean, people do get robbed at ATMs. Absolutely. And no. if you have a child with you, you're feeling vulnerable. Yeah. And, and but, so I, I think, you can engage the people a little more than yeah. running away. Um, certainly, we should hope that the the police don't. Um, yeah, like the police. Like, yeah, like it's it does, true. It, it does sound like the kid ran when the cop showed up, which is a whole other issue. That's another issue, which I think we might actually have covered yeah. in episode <laughs> zero, zero. If you want to uh, go through the archives, but yeah. So, so I, in the in a perfect situation, this guy holds the door for the woman. She feels uncomfortable. She says, "Oh, that's okay. You know, I've also decided not to get money today." <laughs> Yeah. And then they walk away and it's and fine. Or in an imperfect situation, she calls the cops anyway because she's scared. Yeah. And, she and then says, they come and then they... And she says, I'm not really sure what's going on here, but there was a little suspicious activity. This guy walked in and yeah. out of the ATM without getting money. The cops find him. They talk to him. He says, no, I just decided not to get money. So, yeah. And, as you know, just a note, they did not end up arresting these kids. They were cleared of all misconduct. So another another current event happening in D.C. was that we're right now we're embroiled in a debate over a bike lane that's going to be that they want to build near my house um, on Fifth Street in Shaw, and basically black churches are going to lose some parking in this deal, and there have been some heated community meetings and some crazy comment section on the Washington Post. Shout out to that. You guys should really check it out. People are so racist. Um, and so, but the debate is... Anonymous commentators on the internet? <laughs> what? Crazy. But the debate basically centers around people saying that bike lanes, and this has happened in New York too, um, that like bike lanes only exist for gentrifiers. People don't want them. Like it's gonna, it's gonna bring even more gentrification, which is a bad thing. 
uh, in their minds. And um, I think it's it's given me a lot to think about as a black person who rides a bike and who lives in the area and would love a bike lane and who also goes to church. But it's like, it's a weird situation. Especially, this is like what we were talking about earlier. Like, I really do feel that like, lots of black people bike. Lots of people who have been in D.C. for a long time bike. I see old men on yeah. mountain bikes, girls' bikes, every kind of bike, every single day. But it's the idea that we could not have those things until, like, more white people. Like, right. these are nice. And, like, kids, like, bike lanes are great for kids yeah. and people who are more unsta- yeah. unsteady on bikes. But, like, the idea that you couldn't get it before, I think, is what's really at the heart. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think there's no, I'm, I'm like a, a cyclist, have been for a long oh, time. Oh, he's a cycling advocate. You, um, should, have, you but, should see this guy. But but I don't, I mean, I'm not, I think that there are, there's no argument against riding bikes in, in a city. No. The human race could certainly stand to ride a few more bikes, especially in America, because a lot of other countries are already doing it. Yeah. And bikes are, can be a huge tool for marginalized people. But but I, I agree, it's, I mean, I, I can see where... It looks like black people losing parking for their churches for white people to have bike lanes. White people to have fun. Yes, yes. No, it's fun. And fun, yeah, and and to feel safer, maybe there's some understanding of that. But yeah, the fun thing, I think it's because the the communities that are being gentrified don't necessarily see, I don't know, like, do white people see bicycles as tools? I mean, if you look at it as a, the bicycle is a tool, then there's no argument. Right. But if you see the bicycle as something frivolous... Right. Then, of course, there's an argument. Right. It's like, well, my car... Or tool of gentrification. Yeah, a tool of gentrification. Oh, yeah. Um, that's true. So, yeah, so it's, that's a hard... It's a hard thing. You're, you're not... I mean, if you look at it as uh, the actual thing that we're arguing over, then it doesn't... There's a clear winner in the argument. But if you look at the, the implications behind the thing... Yeah. Um, it's a lot deeper. It's, yeah. And um, if you want to find out more about this, there's an article mm-hmm. on Washingtonian.com. It's called DC's Latest Bike Lane Fight is Not About Bikes. And uh, we agree. This ties in nicely to uh, us trying to talk about our own <laughs> personal experiences. Like, I can say for myself, oh, this is such a heavy podcast. I feel like I'm admitting so much to you guys, all five of you. But um, I, I have, like, called the cops in D.C., on suspicious activities slash my neighbors um, when people are doing, like, committing crimes. So I, like, I understand where people are coming from. So I guess my personal experience, my ongoing personal experience is that there's a house a few doors down from me that has, like, become vacant and has, like, attracted all kinds of individuals at difficult stages in their lives. Marginalized individuals. Marginalized individuals, and I say that, I know it sounds facetious, but I really do mean it. Like, on the one hand, I I actually do feel bad. Like, homeless people deserve a place to stay. However, like, breaking into my neighbor's house and using it as a a drug spot is, like, not, that's, like, not the business. But, yeah, so they've kind of turned it. They sometimes do drugs there, and I sometimes call the cops on them. And I, I actually feel really conflicted about it. Like, I have only lived here for two years. I think that I have their best interest at heart because in my mind it's like, okay, yeah, those people are probably not happy to have the cops called on them. But also, like, for the rest of it, like, my neighbors who've lived here a long time, they don't want to live, like, they don't do drugs. You know, like, the majority of people in our neighborhood, even if we don't have a lot of money, and I say we, and I mean we, you know, (laughs) even if people who lived here a long time, though, it's not even if they don't have a lot of money, it doesn't mean that, like, they want to have people, like, doing drugs in front of their house either. 
Well, and I, I think that you, like, it's like the, what's the social contract, right? Like, you, you know, you're here, and you're working to be a part of your community, yeah. and you're paying rent, yeah. and you are sort of not doing the things that, as a community, you've agreed that you won't do. Like, yeah. you know, hard drugs in the afternoon. Hard drugs in the afternoon yeah. in front of children. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, that's one of the things. <laughs> but, you know, so you, so you feel like there's, it's, it gets frustrating when people aren't keeping up their end of the bargain. Yeah, but... Maybe, you know, rather than going and doing your own hard drugs in front of children, you call the police. Right, but... Which is a weird thing, because it's... it's a, I mean, there's no... there's There really... I mean, there's no good that's going to come out of that for them. Absolutely. So, before... Yes, I know... Okay, so this podcast was not made just to make me feel better <laughs> about, about my, uh, I don't know, privilege and stuff. Like, I know that... This is the thing that bothers me. Like, I know that when I call the cops, they're not going to, like, enroll these people in a comprehensive and effective drug rehabilitation program and then, like, figure out who owns this house, put it back on the market, or turn it into a community center. Like, that's not what's going to happen. Like, they're getting them off. Maybe maybe they'll take them to jail. Probably they'll just tell them to go somewhere else, and they'll continue doing drugs wherever they were doing them before. Because they have a problem. Because they have a problem. And we don't, we have not, like, funded a solution. And I know that, but I, I have been taking a short-term solution to that problem. No, I mean, I don't, I don't know that there's anything like, I don't think this is a neighborhood that belonged to the, you know, the daytime hard drug users before, and you came in and like carved out a piece of it and said, now you can't do that anymore. That's true. If you talk to, so my, my neighbor, Miss Jean has lived in our neighborhood for a 30 or mm-hmm. so years. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's seen it like through several different phases where, you know, it was middle class. And then she talks about when crack came and it was just totally insane. It was mm-hmm. just, like wild. Mm-hmm. She has a dog and there was some uh, woman who was a, an obvious drug user, serious mm-hmm. drug user in her backyard uh, all the time, just messing around and mm-hmm. causing trouble. And one time her dog like barked at this woman and the woman called the police and accused the dog of biting her. Mm-hmm. And the police showed up and it was just clear that this lady was way strung out. Yeah. And it was like that that sort of thing was happening all the time. So now, you know, so she, when she bought the house, you know, let's say she paid in that neighborhood 30 years ago, probably paid between seventy-five dollars and $125,000. Mm-hmm. And then it went some rough times and in Trinidad they had which is the neighborhood that I live in they had um, like roadblocks to keep people out unless they lived there because there was so much so many people coming from other parts of the district in, in Maryland and Virginia to to buy drugs or sell drugs or there was a lot of crime there so they were literally setting up roadblocks mm-hmm. to and that was within the last 10 or 15 years and now the house two doors down from ours is on the market for $640,000 it's a three bedroom yeah so like that's it's just a it's crazy and but if you talk to Miss Jean about it like she would definitely prefer how things are now to there being daytime hard drug users everywhere absolutely and I have talked to my neighbors and she I, called we, the police too yeah I mean, not, you know yeah like me and my neighbors I think mm-hmm. we're on the same side it's just I I still feel conflicted because it's me calling yeah and I don't know and I know other people call too so it's not just me but you know, anyway. yeah uh, it's complicated. So, did you want to talk about another personal experience? Do we have any feel-good ones? I mean, I, I, I like, from my perspective, and I don't, I don't think that I, like, am necessarily qualified to have this opinion as, like, the gentrifier, but I, 
I really like diverse spaces and I like to live in diverse cities and I like to work in diverse companies and have diverse friend groups. Yeah. Um, although my friend group could certainly be more diverse. And I, I really, I like the mixed community that I live in and I like that there's children and I like that there's old folks and there's white folks and black folks and some Hispanic folks and we have a Middle Eastern neighbor now, I think. So, yeah, so I, so I just, you know, I really, I think that, um, I think that diverse communities are awesome and I think that they make everybody stronger and, and you, you just have more different experiences and I would hate to live in the white suburban upper middle class bubble that I grew up in forever. Um, yeah. but, but there is like, that's what I bring to the table and I like, I guess my sort of end goal is to keep that as positive as I can and also like keep my privilege in mind and keep it in check as much as I can and not, and sort of respect the spaces that I come into. Yeah. And there's so many things that I enjoy about living in this part of DC. Like there's a reason I don't live in Clarendon and like, that's definitely an option, right? You can go to like the pre-made place. Yeah, I mean, we, like, there's, well, you could go to Noma and you could live in, in yeah. one of the high-rise apartment buildings that would right. look like a hotel. And right, go straight to the metro, straight to work, and never yeah. go outside. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely an option. And but, never talk to your neighbors. Yeah, right? but we live, yeah, but we live Maybe here for a reason. Yeah. We chose houses for a reason, and we're trying to interact with different groups of people. Um, so with that in mind, concrete steps, you know, as a gentrifier who feels guilty about it, yeah, step um, one, admit you have a problem. Okay, so we are, so we're, absolutely. So we're referring to an article on everydayfeminism.com. It's called Nine Ways Privileged People Can Reduce the Negative Impact of Gentrification. And so they have some steps here. And the first one is to admit you have a problem. All right, check. Um, they also say respect the history of your neighborhood. This is a big thing for me, like, in my neighborhood, I feel like I'm always asking my neighbors, like, about how long they've been there, about their experience, about what the neighborhood used to be like. And I think generally because I'm sort of a curious person, mm-hmm. but I, since I know that it's changing, you know, I want to know what it was. And so I think that that's like, yeah, respecting the history of your neighborhood. I think the first step there is just to know the history and learn the history and ask about the history. And because if you showed up in, in some of the neighborhoods around here, like you wouldn't be able to tell that there was a history because the building you're in is 10 years old. Yeah, no, that. that's completely yeah. true. And talking to people is a big part of that. Yeah. Um, another good tip on here is to invest in community focused, community run organizations. We're going to have a list on the website, but there, I volunteered with some great organizations in our area, and I think. That's another good way to meet people who you would never meet and to try to give something back besides just feeling like... I think a lot of people feel like, well, you're spending your money and you're paying your rent and you're existing and that's yeah. enough. But there's other things you can do. Support and, the community emotionally. Yeah, yeah exactly. The communities aren't... The communities that we want to live in aren't built on money. And- exactly. And this one's this one's tough, but... Question exclusionary tactics claiming to be about safety. And that is, that's the idea is there is basically like, don't just, um, you know, if there's extra police or extra bouncers or, you know, security guards with big guns in the front of your grocery store. Yeah. Don't just take that as there for your safety because it's, it's, it's not necessarily. I mean, I think in a lot of ways it's there to sort of enforce a sort of like the like caste system almost. I don't know. I mean, they're, they're, I'm not getting hassled in the grocery store by those guys. Yeah. No, that's completely true. Um, and then another one on here that I can... Just really quick, going yeah. going back, I... 
so I ride my motorcycle and my bicycle around DC a lot and I go to the dollar store because I don't have a job right now. So I go to the dollar store in my neighborhood and there's a huge sign on the door. And this is in a city where there's a five cent bag tax. There's a huge sign on the door that says, we're sorry, backpacks and shopping bags are not allowed. And and I walk in there every day, past the security guard with, with my backpack. backpack on. Yeah. And I've never, I notice the sign and I kind of get worried about it, but I'm never hassled. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess that's my privilege. Maybe I should leave my backpack somewhere else. But but it just I mean that just seems ridiculous to me. Yeah. No, that's completely and that's true. I think that's one of these exclusionary tactics claimed to be about yeah, safety. Yeah, absolutely. And the last one on here, um, well, the last two on here. One is advocate for yourself and others. So Alex, maybe you tell the tell that security guard, yeah. you know, fuck that shit. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the most important one of all would be to vote. You know, because we do have we can change some things. Well, whatever. Uh, Whatever the corporations will allow us to change, um, but I think the point here is don't vote for the the candidate that moved to your neighborhood two years ago and as a you know developer. Yeah. Vote for the or or even if it is an, even if it is someone who moved vote for the person who like is all about yeah, keeping the community around. But so yeah, so shout out to Katie Kreitler for this article on everyday feminism. It gave me a lot to think about actually. And we will have a link to that on the blog as well. All right. So I think that's about all we have for you on gentrification today. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us all over the place. If you want to send us an email with uh, your thoughts on gentrification or, I don't know, photos of you eating an artisanal sandwich in your neighborhood, you can email us at kitchpod at gmail.com. That is K-I-T-C-H-P-O-D at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at at kitchpod. We are on Tumblr at kitchpod.tumblr.com. You can find us wherever you um, source your podcasts. Actually, not yet. We're only on iTunes. <laughs> but yeah, thank you guys for listening. And we're we're still in development. But um, mm-hmm. if you have any topics, yeah, we're, we definitely would be love to hear your topic ideas. Yeah, um, totally. Your challenge for the week is to go talk to your neighbor. Absolutely, Ch- talk to your neighbor and uh, register to vote if yeah. you haven't already. If we're actually friends, which we must be because you're listening, you should really be <laughs> registered to vote, please. All right, well, thanks, you guys, and uh, we'll talk to your neighbor. Intro music. Intro music. Intro music. Intro music. Okay.